like to invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking closely at Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 this morning. If you're following along in the Pewback Bibles, uh, you can find this passage on page number 984. So if you have the uh, Pewback Bibles right in front of you, it's page 984. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Friends, listen carefully to these words from God. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray and ask the Lord to meet with us now. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for giving us this precious gift of your word, for not leaving us guessing what you're like. I thank you that you're not a God who sets the world into motion and then sits back and watches it happen, but you're actively engaged in our lives, and the fact that we have this very word from you is evidence of that. So now, Lord, would you give us a thoughtful heart to engage these truths? Would you help our eyes to see that our lives are hidden with Christ? Would you help our ears to, to hear this truth, our hearts to savor and hold it fastly? And Lord, would you lead our hands to serve these truths in your word today? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite diagnostic questions to ask myself and to ask others is, What's the repeat thought in your mind lately? What's the thought that's nagging you and is on repeat over and over again in your mind? Uh, oftentimes, that, the answer to that question reveals sort of what you're seeking out most and setting your mind to. Uh, it's what you're sort of obsessing and mulling over in any given moment. Transparently, if you asked me this question, Greg, what have you, what's been the thought on repeat for you this past week, uh, this past month, really? Uh, there's three ventures that have been most on my mind. A new car, a new home, and a new dog. If I transparently answer the question, those are the three ventures, uh, the three thoughts on repeat for me. These three ventures, a new car, a new home, and a new dog, have pervaded my thinking. Uh, For example, as I've been researching these three ventures, uh, it's made me more sensitive to all the other SUVs on the road. I, uh, and, and it doesn't just affect me, it affects my whole family, right? You can just ask my wife. While we're driving, four, month, uh, four weeks ago, it wasn't this way, but as of the last three weeks, since I've been mulling over, setting my mind on uh, sales prices and a car availability, I now notice every Toyota RAV4 on the street. And I can tell you the difference between a 2021 Nissan Rogue. I can spot the differences. The 2021 is a little bit more boxy than the older models. And the typeface on, on, on the trunk is a bit more modern and aesthetic. The rogue is spelt out. It's not lower, it's in the middle. All these little nuanced details I can tell you about because I've been seeking these things. I've been setting my mind on a new car and a new house. For sale signs in our area mean something different to me because I've been setting my mind and seeking these things out. We all have these things, and what we've been setting our mind to and obsessing over affects not just us, but also 
those around us. We're all this way. If you're in the market or have a, 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 for a new haircut and looking for a new hairstyle and have a hair appointment coming up, you might be noticing every uh, blunt cut or layered look around the sanctuary this morning. You might be noticing uh, highlights and lowlights in a, in a new different color because you've been seeking these things out. You've been mulling them over. If you desire to get pregnant, a pregnancy announcement means something weightier to you in this season. Your body symptoms you're paying more attention to. These are the things you think about. When we think about the things, these things, and we set our minds to them, it, it gives us a hypervigilance, a hypervigilance to these topics. What Paul is trying to do here in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, is to give a course-correcting new vision, a new obsession to the church in Colossae. See, this was the problem. They were obsessing over the wrong things. The Colossians understood the right things to obsess about in the beginning. They understood that Christ was sufficient to save them, but then they started getting a little wayward in their thinking. They started thinking in order to grow in Christ, we need to sort of uh, use worldly means of achieving spiritual growth. We haven't been studying the book of Colossians, but I want to give you a sense of sort of the background music, the problem that Paul's trying to address. So if you have your copy of the scriptures with you, look back with me in chapter 2. I want to just read a couple verses here so you can kind of understand the, the current obsession that the Colossians are obsessing over. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Skip down to verse 16 of chapter 2. Paul writes, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Continue on in verse 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason in his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. The problem in the Colossian church is that they were trying to grow from a growth that is from man and not God. This is the core problem that Paul is trying to address. And so he writes to them in verses 1 through 4, telling them that they need a new obsession. They've been obsessing over uh, practices of traditionalism and mysticism, extreme forms of fasting, creating a dichotomy between sort of a spiritual elite among them like an insider group that has these special visions of heaven and angels and the worship of angels, or others have been going on about dietary laws and restrictions and um, uh, observance of festivals, traditions. But Paul's point in our passage is that we are called, the, the church in, Col in Colossae is called, and we today are called, to obsess over the complete and continuing work of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 8 Paul says that their main problem, the essence of their problem, is that they are living and trying to seek a spiritual growth that is not according to Christ. And we run the same risk today if we obsess over the wrong things. So Paul argues for this new obsession in three parts in our text. First, verse 1, the first part of verse 1, Paul first argues for the conditions of our obsession, then verses 1 and 2, the content of our obsession, 
And then finally, reasons for our new obsession. The conditions, the content, and the reasons for our new obsession. Look with me again at verse 1, the condition of our obsession. If then you've been raised with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ. What's the purpose of a of job posting? If your company or organization posted a, a job opportunity online somewhere, on LinkedIn, say, what's the purpose of that job posting? What they're trying to do is spell out what a well-qualified candidate looks like. Here is sort of the, the merits of acceptance into this job. Sometimes these job descriptions can be humorously uh, unrealistic. For example, here's a recent entry-level job posting for a tech job I read on LinkedIn. So this entry-level job, quote-unquote, requires five years of web application design, development, and implementation experience. Five-plus years of JavaScript development experience. Two-plus years of design and development for responsive web applications using Angular and Angular CLI. Five-plus years of Java server-side development and integration with web services. Three-plus years of HTML5 and CSS and other coding software languages. Three-plus years of single, uh, writing single-page applications. Does that sound like an entry-level job qualification for you? I don't quite understand how this organization, this company, was expecting a graduating senior to have five years of full-time experience in web application and HTML use. They're learning these things for the first time. This is probably more sort of an intermediate level or you know, junior or rising manager level uh, qualification set. Is Paul's qualification, if then you've been raised with Christ, appropriate or is it exaggerated or uh, inappropriate for the Colossians? The qualification is, have you been raised with Christ? Raised with Christ. Have you been co-resurrected with him? This is the condition of a new obsession. If you haven't been raised with Christ, you can't be obsessed without him. That's the point Paul is trying to make. In order to have this new obsession, we need a resurrection. This is not for the spiritual elite. All Christians have been raised with Christ. This is the work Christ has done. So have you been raised with Christ? How would you answer that question? If you feel like you haven't, then I'd, I'd invite you to pray today, asking God that he would raise you with him, that he would give you new life. If you have, then this new obsession that Paul's about to describe in the rest of verse 1 and verse 2 is for you to pay careful, close attention to. If you're not sure, can we fill the pastor's schedule this next month? Could you send an email to them to help them, ask them for help discerning whether or not you feel like you're actually resurrected with them? Can we busy their schedules of this new year already by answering this question? Have you been raised with Christ? It's an important question to answer because if you haven't, then you can't have a new obsession. So how do we know if we've been raised to Christ? I think Paul first wants to see that we're, we're dead without him. Do you see yourself as dead without him? The story of the widow's son who died in Luke chapter 7 helps illustrate this point. You might recall Jesus was, uh, had just been traveling to Capernaum and performing miracles and healing people, and there was his disciples and a great crowd following with him. And as his disciples and this large crowd were following him, they were traveling to Nain and they ran into another crowd. So the moods of the crowds were quite different. This other crowd was walking in a funeral procession because a young lady, a widow, her oldest and last son had just died. 
And so these two crowds are crossing paths. And when Jesus sees this widow weeping, when he sees this funeral procession, do you remember what he does? He walks up to the boy's casket or coffin, touches it, and he says, young man, arise. And the dead boy comes to life. He begins to talk, and Jesus gives him back to his his mother. This is what Jesus does. He brings dead people back to life. We have been spiritually dead to sin. We're consumed by it. We're enslaved to it. And Paul wants us to see that if we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins, then we too can have new life in him. Has Jesus said to you, arisen dead man, arisen little one, arisen young heart? This is what Jesus does. He shows up to funeral processions and turns them into birthday parties. He is in the business of resurrection. If you're going to be obsessed with this man, you first need to see yourself as risen. You need to see yourself as dead without him. You couldn't save yourself. No amount of good works can a dead man or dead woman perform in order to earn your way to heaven. It's Christ's good work. It's in his kindness that he needs to come to your funeral procession of death the life of sin that you lead, and awaken it. This is the condition. But not only do we need to see ourselves as dead without him, we need to see ourselves as risen with him. Not only are we dead without him, but he rises us with him. When Christ died on the cross, your sin died with him. But Christ didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave showed himself to many witnesses, ascended into heaven, and now currently he is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. He's now seated there. And as he rose, in a sense, there's a true reality that all Christians, even if we're living on earth right now, he carpooled us with him into heaven. We didn't jet ourselves there by good works, but he takes us there by his work. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus turns funeral processions into birthday parties. This is the gospel. I know we use that language gospel a lot at our church, and for good reason. But sometimes we can lose what the color is, what that, that word even means. Here's a simple way to remember what the gospel is through using the word gospel as sort of an acronym, or an alliteration, I mean. The alliteration gospel. G-O-S-P-E-L. You can think of it this way. The gospel is God, G. Dying for, O, our S, sins. How? By paying, P, E, everyone who believes, life. It's a simple way to remember what the gospel is. God, dying for our sins by paying everyone life. G-O-S-P-L-E. This is what qualifies us for the new obsession. These are the conditions of our new obsession. So do you see yourself as dead without Christ? and yet also risen with him. Everything you need to know to follow Jesus, he's already purchased for you. This is the condition of our new obsession, the complete and continuing current work of Christ. So we can't have a new obsession without first having a resurrection. Has Christ risen you from the dead? Next, let's consider the content of our obsession. The rest of verse 1 and verse 2. Read with me. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, 
not on things that are on earth. There are two commands in this new obsession that Paul gives us. We are to seek the things above and set our minds to the things above. And these two verbs, seek and set, are practically synonyms. Seeking is sort of devoting yourselves towards effort, sort of the activity of our obsession. And set in our minds is to give careful consideration or be hyper-vigilant of our new obsession. So it's both an acting and a thinking. The seeking and the setting our minds are sort of synonyms. That's why I've sort of been summarizing that this whole time uh, with the word obsess, obsess. What is an obsession? I describe an obsession as a fixation that engrosses our thinking, then drives us towards repeated activity. An obsession is sort of a fixation that engrosses and grips our thinking and then drives us to do something repetitively. Paul is trying to give the church and Colossae a new obsession. I know this word obsess uh, can be somewhat a painful one if you or someone that you, you know has been clinically diagnosed with an obsession. I know that can be uh, a pain point. But I hope this text gives you some hope that here Paul is commanding obsession and he's using it in a positive light. He wants all Christians to have a new obsession, a new hope. But what's the content? What's the focus of this new obsession? Well, it's Christ and the things above. Notice Christ is the central theme of our text that might be, sound very obvious, but it wasn't obvious to their church. They were obsessing over uh, practices of traditionalism and mysticism and missing Christ as their new obsession. Look with me again at the mentions of Christ in verses 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him, that's Christ, in glory. Five times in these four verses, Paul mentions Christ's name. Contrast this to the false teaching that Paul had been talking about in chapter 2 that we looked at. Sort of this mishmash of beliefs and practices that's minimizing the complete and continuing work of Jesus. The content of our session, the central theme is Christ and the things above. Paul uses that phrase, things above, twice. He says that we are to seek the things above, to set our mind on the things above. And what, what does that mean? Paul has in mind, when he says things above, it's sort of a shorthand to say heaven. This is affirmed by the fact that he says that this is where Christ is currently, right now, as I speak and as you listen. Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, ruling over this world. As one pastor puts it, we're not to be seeking heavenly geography. We're not supposed to be, per se, imagining sort of the geography and the landscape of heaven right now, but rather the one who dwells there. Right now, friends, Jesus is sitting on a throne in a heavenly sanctuary, and ruling the world. This is the content of our obsession. This obsession isn't just a a one-and-done thing either. It's really a continual activity. This is one of the things I really appreciate about the way that the New American Standard Bible translates this passage. It translates these verbs as a continual activity. The New American Standard Bible and the Net Bible translate it like this, keep seeking the things above. And keep setting your mind on the things above. This is a continual activity. Again, it's a habit. It's a practice. That's why I say 
Uh, it's an obsession, a fixation that engrosses our thinking that drives us to do something repetitively. This new obsession is set in contrast to the things of this world, the things of the earth. That's not what we're to obsess about. We are to obsess about eternal matters rather than temporary matters. So what's the content of our obsession? It's a fixation on Christ's rule in heaven. And the implication is that it drives us towards repetitive heavenly activity on earth. Now, here's what this obsession doesn't look like on earth. One uh, friend of a pastor in the preface of his book uh, writes about the pastor's worship life. And the preface is supposed to be written to persuade you to keep reading. Uh, but it had the inverse effect of, of, on me when I was reading this book. I actually put the book down after I read, read this preface. But here's what worship on earth doesn't look like, I don't think. The, man, the friend's man writes, the, the friend of the pastor writes, for more than 44 years, this man has been a prolific minister of the gospel. During his life, this pastor earned the reputation of many things, a great preacher, author of devotional classics, and his real focus, however, of his daily life was centered on the worship of God. So far, so good. Not bad. Nothing else so occupied his mind and his life. This worship of God was not something tacked on to his busy schedule. It became one of the great passions of his life. Everything revolved around his personal worship of God. He goes on to say that at times he would come to the family dinner table and not speak a word. He wasn't mad at anyone. He was just focused on God. And he wouldn't break the focus even for fellowship around the table with his family and friends. Yet to do the work he believed God had demanded him, he called him to time away from people and shut up alone with God. This man paid the price for his lifestyle of worship. Many, even his own family, did not understand him for his assistance on being alone. His primary business was the worship of God. Nothing else mattered to him more than that. Friends, our obsession is not a private one. It's intended to be public. Yes, it's okay and good and lovely to get alone and be alone with God. Jesus did this in his ministry many times. When people were even begging him to heal him, he would withdraw into private places to commune and pray with God. But our obsession doesn't remain private. It's always public. The way we see this in our passage is the use of you, the, the pronoun you in our passage is a plural you. It's, it's collective, as in you all. I guess y'all if you're from the South or... Use guys if you're from Philadelphia. The you here is uh, a collective you. Yins if you're from Pittsburgh. <laughs> the you in our text is a collective you. This obsession isn't intended to be a private obsession. Paul is calling us to collectively obsess. This is helpful because you and I don't always obsess perfectly and well enough all the time. We need to help one another. This is a communal project. It's not a private obsession. So it's probably more appropriate to say that the content of our obsession is a communal fixation on Christ's rule in heaven that drives us towards communal heavenly activity while on earth. Not like my friend who was alone and quiet at the dinner table with his family and friends. So how do we do this? How do we begin to live this life, this communal life of new obsession? Well, first, uh, we have community groups established for this very purpose so that we can gather together and obsess with one another through prayer and through time in the word and through community. If you haven't signed up for a community group, 
uh, join us. Sign up for one. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. You can email us uh, to know the times and locations when we gather in smaller groups throughout the week to obsess with one another. Uh, We can also uh, ask wondering questions when we do have private time in the Word and prayer. This is something I've been practicing recently. Here's what I mean by ask wondering questions. Um, I've been studying uh, the book of Genesis, and I was in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, the account of Noah and the flood. And as I was reading this account, I was uh, observing how God was instructing Noah and his family and the land animals and the birds of the air to get on the ark. And I was familiar enough with Genesis chapter 1, and I thought, well, what about the fish of the sea? Have you wondered this question too? What happened to the fish? God doesn't give him instructions to to make five by seven fish tanks and bring them on the ark. It was just a, a question of curiosity. But when he asks questions like that, you begin to set your mind to it a little bit more and you get to seek it out. But don't leave this, this sort of question of curiosity to yourself. Invite others into it. This is what I did. I, I texted my friend Joe and my friend Will and I said, hey, Joe, Will, what happened to the fish? I, I need to know. I'm so curious. And so what am I doing? I'm inviting others to start to obsess over God's word and what he says to us and what he's revealed to us and the, the, the works he reveals to us in his word. So we can ask wondering questions. This will help fuel our obsession with Christ, but it can also help fuel a community. I know that's a silly example, but after we can talk about what happened to the fish. And finally, another way that we can sort of communally fixate on Christ's rule in heaven as we live on earth is consider being baptized if you haven't. There's so much baptism-like themes developed here in the book of Colossians by Paul. What is baptism? Baptism is sort of publicly inviting others into this obsession that you have with Christ now. When you're getting baptized, you're saying, I'm dead without Christ, and I've been risen with him. The pastors don't leave the one being baptized in the baptism waters, but they raise them to new life. Baptism illustrates this new obsession. And when you get baptized, you're you're publicly saying, I'm no longer obsessed with earth and temporary things, but I'm now obsessed, obsessed with Christ. So, so far we've covered the conditions of our obsession and the content of our obsession. The conditions, there's no new obsession without a resurrection. And the content is a communal fixation on Christ's rule in heaven that then drives us towards communal activity on earth. Three ways that we can live this out is by spending time in the word with one another, asking each other wondering questions of the word, and if you haven't, consider being baptized. And finally, Paul leaves us with the reason of our obsession. I'm just going to make a few brief comments here. Look with me again at verse 3 and 4. Verse 3, For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a sense that that as you're listening to me, if you are a Christian, you've already died, and your life is presently hidden in Christ, which gives us good reason to obsess. It means that you can't seek out and set your mind on finding your life here. It's there. It's with him. I was reminded of this as I've been thinking about the new car and the new house and the new dog. Verses 3 and 4 remind me that I don't find my life in a 4,000-pound piece of metal on wheels. 
I don't find it in 1,400 square feet of drywall and carpeting and two-by-fours. I don't find it in a 40-pound golden doodle. My life is hidden in Christ. Though this reality cannot be presently seen, hence Paul's use of the word hidden here, friends, it one day will be clear to everyone. Your obsession is not in vain. So your mocking coworker or your family that just made fun of you this past week will all know that your obsession was worth it. What is currently invisible will become visible. This is to be an encouraging reason for us to continue to obsess. Though your life is hidden with Christ now, one day, it'll all be seen by everyone. And second, because your life is hidden with Christ, it also means that your life cannot be touched. The mocking can't touch it. Your failures to obsess on the wrong things also can't lose it. Your life, your soul is in safe keeping in Christ's hands because it's with him. Your life is safe because it's hidden with Christ, as verse 3. But one day, all your insecurities about following Christ and obsessing over him will one day be put to rest. Your obsession will no longer always be invisible. One day, it will be visible. And oh, what a day that will be. So Paul is writing to the Colossians because they've been obsessing over the wrong forms of spiritual growth. They've been relying on traditionalism and mysticism to try to grow spiritually. And Christ wants to say, no, 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 no. Paul wants to say, no, 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 no. It's Christ and his complete and continuing work that ought to be our, our obsession. He argues this point by first making, spelling out the conditions of our new obsession, that there's no new obsession without a resurrection. The content of our obsession, it's called, we're called to have a communal fixation on Christ's rule in heaven that drives us towards communal heavenly activity while on earth. And though it all can't be seen right now, one day it will be because our lives are hidden with Christ. Friends, one day Christ will return. And on that day, you will also appear with him in glory. But in the meantime, as we wait, let's obsess together over Christ's heavenly, complete, and continuing rule. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for granting us a new obsession. Thank you for sending your son to interrupt a funeral procession so that we might have new life in you. Lord, I pray for those who perhaps have not experienced this new life. Would you touch their casket and awaken them today? For those of us who have been risen with you, Lord, would you help us to obsess over this? Would you reorient us this week? Would you continue to use your word to do good work in our lives? Lord, would you help us as a church to obsess together over your current rule in heaven? Oh, would it be an encouragement to us? Would you help us to spur one another on in love and good deeds and communal activity, trying to work heaven into our current realities? Would you help us to spur one another on? We need you because right now our obsession is veiled and we long for the day when our obsession is clear and transparent and our lives are revealed with you. So Lord, would you bring us great encouragement this week? Thank you for giving us a new obsession. Thank you for calling us to this new, new obsession. May it change the very pattern and fabric of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.